welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Oh, well, like I said, I've been away for three weeks and uh, really looking forward to sharing with you this morning. I feel a little bit fired up, to be honest. It was really hard for me sitting through a conference, listening to preacher after preacher after preacher and not being asked to preach myself. It's just it's almost... It's almost unbearable. So here I am this morning, which is fantastic. And we're going to continue our series, I Resolve. Who's been having a good time listening to the I Resolve series so far? The I Resolve series is simply a a series of messages, standalone messages, um, inspiring and motivating us to uh, have a great start to the year. Pete looked about resolving to live beyond yourself. The second week he looked about uh, talked about living healed. And then last week, Cess did a great job on resolving to think bigger and live bigger lives. And today, as part four of this series, um, before Mark Francie comes all the way from America to be with us next week, you don't want to miss that, I want to share with you that I resolve to be the solution and not the problem. In 2012, I want us as a church to resolve to be the solution. Everyone say solution and not the problem. You see, as good as New Year's resolutions are, unfortunately, by the end of January, most of the New Year's resolutions have already been broken or forgot about. And that's a real tragedy, I believe. And I believe one of the main reasons that those Promises, and that's what a resolution really is, it's a promise. When you make a resolution, it's a promise to yourself about a preferred future. You are saying, you know what, life might be good right now, but it can get better. So I resolve, I make a promise for a preferred future. That's what a resolution is all about. Maybe your life is really bad and you say, I want to change things up. I make a promise to myself to do some things that are different this year in order to have a preferred future. That's the whole purpose and nature behind a New Year's resolution. But here's the thing. By the end of January, many people have either broken or forgotten about their resolutions. Why? And you've got to catch this. Because every promise that you will ever have or make or have spoken over your life comes attached with a problem. Every promise has a problem. For example, you might promise yourself to lose a little bit of weight in 2012. That's awesome. And if you know what, if you're carrying a few extra kilos and uh, you're feeling a little bit unfitter than you should, that's not a bad resolution. No one should mock you for making a New Year's resolution to want to lose a little bit of weight. That's a good thing. That's a promise to yourself to have a preferred future, a healthier future, a fitter future. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. But here's the problem. We all get hungry. And we all get very hungry. And we all crave foods that aren't conducive to losing weight. Promise, lose weight. Problem, I'm hungry. Problem, television, throwing adverts down my face about foods that I wasn't thinking about until now. There's a major problem. For every promise we make, there is a problem attached to it. And you've got to get used to this. Because when God gives you a gift... When God gives you a promise, 
He wraps it up in a little thing called a problem. The gift that God gives you, the promise that God gives you is wrapped up in a box called a problem. And in order to get the promise, in order to get the gift, you've got to go through the problem. You've got to deal with the problem before you get to the promise. And the news gets worse this morning. The greater the gift, the greater the problem. The bigger the gift, the bigger the problem. You see, you can't have a big promise or a big gift and a small problem. That would be nice. But the bigger the promise, the bigger the gift, the bigger the problem. And that's why, and rightly so, Mark, uh, Mick said that we should pray for our young people. They've received promises. They've been stirred. They've been inspired. They've made resolutions. They've made promises to go into their schools and universities and workplaces to make a difference. They've made a promise themselves. But I want to tell you, there's some big problems ahead. Because not everyone's as excited about your promise as you are. Look at Joseph. He had a dream. He had a promise. And he told his brothers and they went and killed him. That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to kill him. That was a massive problem. Who knows when someone wants to kill you, it's a bit of a problem. Particularly when it's your brothers. Bit of a problem. My young brother Baz knows all about brothers wanting to kill him. We wanted to kill him many times. Big problem. You've got to overcome those problems if you want to get to the promise. You see, the whole of life is positioned this way. When God gives you a promise, it comes in a problem and then it comes with provision. We see this in the wandering in the wilderness. God spoke to Moses about the, what, promised land. Then they had the problem, the wilderness, the Egyptians. There was lots of problems they had to get through. But then they received the promise, a land flowing of milk and honey, the provision of God. Here's the good news, church. We serve a problem-solving God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and He separated the light from the darkness. Isn't that awesome? What was God's answer to the problem of darkness? He said, let there be light. His answer to darkness was light. That's an amazing thing. And it's an amazing thing because this light that he bought was not the sun. The sun was created on day four. This light that God bought is the Hebrew word that means order. God bought order on day one. He brought order to darkness. He brought order on day one. And then over the next five days, he continued to create some incredible things. He created land. He created the moon and the sun and the stars. He created vegetation. He created seasons. He created animals. And then he created mankind, you and I. And for six days, God went about reducing chaos and bringing order. He's a problem-solving God. And on the seventh day, God rests. God stopped. And he said to man, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. 
In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, it says, God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish. Swimming out there, you see a shark, hit the shark, rule over the fish. Catch as many as you can, Donna and Ben, when you're in Streaky Bay. Rule over them. Show the fish in Streaky Bay who's boss. Rule over them and and cut their heads off and fillet them and scale them and eat them. Show them who's boss. Oh, you're being biblical when you go to Streaky Bay and catch all those fish. Men and women of God. Now you just need the second part where Jesus said, I'll make you fishes of men. You've got to catch men as well. But anyway, we'll go on from there. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Those spiders, subdue them. Cats, bless them. (laughs) See what God's saying? "Uh, It's your turn now. It's your turn. It's your turn to solve problems. God has gifted and mandated every human being to solve problems. And just as God brought light to dark places, so we can bring light to dark places. Just as God brought order into chaos, guess what? We can bring order into chaos. Just as God brings relationship into loneliness, He's looked at Adam and said, He's all alone, it's not good. And so creates and brings a solution to loneliness through relationship. We can bring an answer to humanity that is experiencing extreme loneliness. It's a major problem in our society is loneliness. And we have the answer. It's called relationship. Just as God brought relationship to loneliness, so can we. We can bring peace to a restless world. For every promise, there is a problem. And for every problem, there is a solution. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, verse 5, we're going to read the account of Jesus and a problem he was facing. And there's no greater problem than a whole bunch of people that are hungry. This is a massive problem that I'm going to talk to you about today. Here's Jesus in John chapter 6, reading from verse 5. It says, when Jesus looked out and saw the large crowd, he said to Philip, where can we buy bread to feed these people? He said this to stretch Philip's faith. He already knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, 200 silver pieces wouldn't be enough to buy bread for each person to get a piece. One of the disciples, it was Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, said, There's a little boy who has five barley loaves and two fish. But that's a drop in the bucket for a crowd like this. Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was a nice carpet of green grass in this place. They sat down, about 5,000 of them. That's just the men, not including women and children. Then Jesus took the bread and having given thanks, gave it to those who were seated. He did the same with the fish. All ate as much as they wanted. 
Wow. I know if you've been a Christian for a number of years, you've probably read that story many times and you just read over it now. But let's just stop and hang in the story for a minute. Jesus has been teaching the disciples and many thousands of others for a number of days and they haven't eaten. They've been so in awe with what Jesus was saying, they forgot to eat. But now they were getting hungry and they were getting restless. And there's a massive problem because if we let them go now, we're too, we're, it's too of a, much of a remote place. They, they may faint and, 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 and ultimately just pass out in the wilderness and die and, and that wouldn't be good. We've got a massive problem on our hands. And the disciples are freaking out. Like much of the church, freaking out. What's we going to do with this? What are we going to do about that? What are we going to do about the other? And Jesus, as calm as you like, asks Philip a question. Now, from this story, we can learn a number of things. And I want to look at some of those things this morning. And that is this. The first thing is that problems are there to grow us. When everyone's freaking about the problem, Jesus is saying, oh, this is an incredible opportunity. And he asks Philip a question. Where can we buy bread to feed the people? I love this. He says, where can we? In other words, Jesus makes this his problem. If we're going to be the church in 2012, we've got to make some things our problem. We can't do what the Pharisee and the high priest did when they saw the beggar that had been beaten up and just walk on the other side of the road. The church has done that for far too long. We have to make some things our problem. We've got to drop that. It's not my problem. Jesus makes this his problem. Jesus was young enough and fit enough, he probably could have walked home and got some food. But he makes this his problem. And I believe as a church this year in 2012, we're going to make some things our problem. Instead of saying, let's leave it to the church down the road. Let's leave it to the government. Let's leave it to whoever. Let us say, you know what, we're going to do something about that. Jesus looks at Philip and says, hey, Philip, what are we going to do? Imagine Philip sitting there, what? What do you mean we? What? I didn't make him sit here. I didn't make him come. I didn't, they didn't have to stay this long. I don't know everybody's ailment and everybody's problem. They could have left earlier. Jesus unfazed, what are we going to do? Where are we going to get the money to buy enough food for these people? Now here's the thing. When Jesus asked that question, it wasn't because he didn't know the answer. When God ever asks you a question, it's not because he's having a bad day. You know, when Adam was in the garden after he'd sinned and he's hiding from God and God says, Adam, where are you? God's not like, Adam, seriously, dude, where are you? I've lost you. Have you ever played hide and seek with your kids? Bailey's great. She's five. This is how she hides. I'm going to hide behind the monitor. No one will see me. Oops, can't do that. Fall back. I'll hide. 
And I have to walk around saying, where's Bailey? She's sniggering. Now, when I'm saying, where's Bailey? I know where she is. Jesus knows what he's going to do. The Bible tells us he knows what he's going to do. But he asks Philip to test him, to stretch his faith, to grow him. We do that with our kids, don't we? Well, we should. I remember growing up, dad would ask me some questions. And I'm like, you feel like you start to panic. Well, if dad doesn't know, we're in trouble. He wants to know what I'm thinking. He wants to know where I'm at. Questions help you know where you're at. And so what God was really saying to Adam in the garden was, Adam, where are you at, dude? There was a time when you and I used to walk in the cool of the evening. We used to talk and chat. Now you're hiding from me. Where are you at? What's going on? You've been to university lately hearing all the latest ideas and now you've just shunned your, your, your responsibility to me. What's going on? What's going on? Starting to embrace a new philosophy, a new way of living, a new way of doing life. What's going on? Where are you at? That's the question behind the question. And so Jesus asks this question, not because he's having a bad day, but he wants to test Philip. He wants to stretch Philip. He wants to grow us. You see, it's wonderful that God saves us. And it's wonderful that he heals us. But ultimately, God wants to grow us. He does. He wants to grow us as well. He wants us to move on. You know, when Jesus was dealing with that man who was possessed by many demons. We see that Jesus cast those demons out and he was saved and healed. And it's wonderful. And then he said, I want to come with you, Jesus. He said, no, no, you go back to your home. You go back and get on with your life. I set you free to live a life. I set you free to make a difference. You're not just a trophy of grace. You're not just something we just go around, oh, I got another deliverance. Hey, I got another healing. Oh, aren't we good? That's not why we do these things. I'm tired of the church saying, oh, so-and-so got healed today. No, no, I want to play the video. I want to know how their life ends up. I want to know where they are 10 years from now. I want to know where they are 20 years from now. I want to know where they are 30 years from now. What I love about Sally Graham's Testimony is not that she got saved, and that was an incredible day. I remember when Sally first walked into church. No shoes, hair everywhere, raggedy old clothes, kids just. One of them is employed in the church now, but hey, they were just. <laughs> just feral kids. Let me be honest, I'm just, they were just. Done, a, done life tough. They got saved. Isn't that awesome? They got saved. Fantastic. That's, that's good, but that's not the best of it. We, we don't just take a snapshot and say, trophy, oh, we, get all, we got so many people saved this Sunday. I want to know where, how our life's going to turn out. I want to know what's going to happen in this family now that Jesus has come into their life. I want to know, is this woman, I wonder if she's ever going to wear shoes. I wonder. Biggest delight for me is to see Sally today. That was a great and glorious day, don't get me wrong. But many years later, seeing Sally, who was once imprisoned, she was a naughty girl back in the day. 
But now being saved and healed and delivered and set free and gone on to maturity and growing and changing and changing and growing and growing and changing and changing and growing and facing problem after problem after problem after problem. Now she goes back into prisons, but not as a prisoner, but as one who brings light into dark places. That's the gospel. That's the New Testament. That's what it's all about. Hey, when we started our church almost 18 years ago, that was a great and glorious day. But anyone can start a church. An atheist can start a church. A kid, anyone can start anything. Oh, but just know that after 18 years, we're still here. Anyone can get married. Oh, but to see people who've been married for 10 years, 20 years. Kath and I have been married for 20 years in February. 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. That's what it's about. Jesus came to set us free that we might live a life, a life for Him, a life to the full, an abundant life, a life to the max. That's what it's about. A problem-solving life. Problems ultimately are our friend then. If we truly understand what I'm saying, it's our friend. The greatest thing that ever happened to David was Goliath. Without Goliath, David's still looking after sheep. Enter Goliath and his world changes. The promises of God are on the other side of Goliath. Goliath was the greatest thing that ever happened to David. I can honestly say that my darkest days and toughest days, this side of them, I can look back and say, they they did me good. 2008, in trying to get this property established, in trying to get it through council, in trying to get it built, in trying to raise the money, uh, in the midst of being misunderstood, it was the toughest year of my life. Did I feel like giving up? Yes, daily. 2012, I say, I'm so glad I didn't. Because the promise was on the other side over the problems we faced. And we continue to face many problems. But it's all worth it. Paul says these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory which far outweighs them all. I was saying to God, that I just know what my year is going to look like. I know some of the people that I'm going to offend. I know some of the things I'm going to say that people aren't going to respond to nicely. And I'm saying, God, I get tired of being this, this voice of reason. I'm being tired of being misunderstood. I'm tired of it, Lord. And in the midst of this prayer I was having slash complaint, God doesn't have a complaints compartment. He just seems to ignore it. He just, he just throws the word of God at the situation. And this scripture that I've just shared with you came to light. These light and momentary troubles that are achieving. And I felt God encouraged me with what you are doing is achieving something. Paul could say, ah, I've been through a lot of rubbish, a lot of junk, but it's achieving something. Many people live comfortable lives, nice lives, enviable lives, but they are not achieving one thing. 
read a quote recently. The people in the Western world have everything to live with, but they have nothing to live for. Kath and I and Tony Bates are off to Indonesia tomorrow for a very short trip. We're going to spy out the land. There's an opportunity for us. That's all I'm going to say about it. And uh, we'll tell you more on Vision Sunday. But it's an inconvenience for me. I tell you, it is not a good time. It is not a good time. I've had to work um, super hard in the last two days trying to fit everything in just to be able to go. Our kids have to be without a mum and a dad. It's inconvenient. It's a bit of a problem. And BJ kind of, she's, she's a, a mummy and daddy's girl. She likes mum and dad around, and that's understandable because I mean, we're just awesome. I mean, look at us. We just. <laughs> but I was in the pool with her yesterday, and I said, Sweetie, I said, I know you're going to miss us, and we're going to desperately miss you. But we're going to spend some time with some young kids, your age and younger. And you're going to be without us for six days, but these kids don't have a mum and dad. And we're just going to put our smiling faces in and hopefully bring something into their world. And I so appreciate your maturity for letting us go. That's what I would put in our kids. It's what we did for Mitch and it's what we did for Geordie. They don't feel like they're missing out. Just want to attach it to the bigger picture here. See, the, 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 the solution to the world's problems is not just hold on to everything for yourself. It's being open-handed. And being willing to go to Indonesia when it's really inconvenient. And being to, willing to do things. To be honest, this week class is a bit of a problem going to Indonesia. It sounds awesome. Oh, who, who wouldn't want to go to Indonesia? No, no, it's, it's a hassle for us. But when I think about the bigger picture, when I think about the purpose, I think about the doors and the opportunities, and when I think what this, this, this partnership could look like a year from now, two years now, three years from now, when I think about the people we could impact, I'm, I'm there, I'm on that plane, and we're going. Promise, problem, provision. See, rough roads lead to great places. I remember growing up, and I shared, with, shared this with someone recently, Dad liked remote places, which meant we had to go off the paved roads, off the asphalt. And when we were growing up, we, you know, there's so many luxuries and mod cons. I mean, most cars these days have air conditioning. We had an Amaris 1100. We had three kids and two parents, and, and, and we just loaded that car up. There was no seatbelts. I mean, thank God there was no seatbelts. Thank God there was no seat, kitty seats. You'd never fitted anything in other than the kitty seats. And we just used to jam that car, and, and then we'd go across these corrugated dirt roads. Brrr. Here was the dilemma. Do I wind the windows down because it's too hot with them up and keep cool? But if I do that, all the dust is going to get in. It's like, oh, we're hot. One in the window. <laughs> and so the whole trip was spent winding them down. And, winding that. and then we'd get to this cliff and there'd be a fence. Do not go down. They'd say, come on, guys. So we climb over this fence. I may be young, but I can still read. That says don't go. But when Dad had his mind set up, we're going. There's a, there's a, there's a promise. There's a, the promised land is down there. I know the guys went over to Streaky Bay, but none of you went down to Point Labatt because it said don't. We were down swimming with the seals. What I didn't know as a young kid is that seals are shark food. 
We've got photos of us swimming with the seals out the top. It's like, don't go down there. We had the beach to ourselves, funnily enough. <laughs> had some of my greatest days growing up on that beach. It's the road less travelled. You go where it's all built up and it's all the mod cons and it's easy. Not everyone's there. But some of the best places are found in the most remotest places at the end of the roughest of roads. And I don't know how rough your life is right now, but I want you to hold on. Don't turn off that rough road just because it's getting too rough. Find the grace and find the power to hold your line. Because there is a place that you're going to that is beautiful and sweet. Can I keep going just for a minute? My younger brother, bless him, he knows me. He says, Tony, I don't need to sound rude or anything, but I'm leading the kids today. Would it be fair to say that it would probably be wise to tell the kids we're going to be a little bit longer today? And I said, that's not being rude at all. You just know me. I said, having said that, I will try my best to keep it short. Number two, never focus on the problem. Never focus on the problem. Philip focuses on the problem. He's saying, what can we do? He's saying, we can't afford it. Do you know how many times I've heard that? This church has been built on we can't afford it. So we can't, he makes it a money issue. It's not a money issue, it's a people. It's a people issue. Philip missed the point. Jesus was saying, how can we get food to these precious people? He, said, he makes it about money. Religious people always do make it about money. The church always wants your money. You know what? Religious people tend to make things about money. Christians make it about people. Food for thought. He focused on the problem, and when you focus on the problem, you never find the solution. See, the problem is never the problem, it's always the way you see the problem. And if you make it about money, you'll never have enough money. Now, I believe when it comes to cost, cost should be a voice in decision-making processes. But it should never be the leading voice. I never said yes to Jesus and yes to starting this church and yes to ministry based on what am I going to get. I would never have, we, the church would never be here today as it is if I had that mentality. Mick's mentioned how this year he's coming on full time. But for a number of years he worked purely as a volunteer. The last couple of years he's worked part time and now this year full time. We're not in this for the money. It's not about money, it's about people. Let's not miss the point. Let's stop making these excuses. Let's stop allowing these excuses to be the leading voice. For some people it's not money, for some people it's who? Who's going to do it? For others, it's the timing. Oh, it's just not the right time. I hear what you're saying, brother. It's just not the right time. And so timing becomes the issue. Approval for others. What will people think? For others, it's the supernatural that gets in the way. What's God saying? You know, I think we pray too much. I think someone said at the conference, we've got to stop praying and start obeying. Sometimes we use prayer as a cop-out. What's God saying? God's saying, reach people, love people. That hasn't changed. I don't need a revelation, God. Are you still saying that? He's saying that. 
In actual fact, some people want to know that what God has said, so that if it goes wrong, they can blame God. Instead of just using their brain, use common sense. So never focus on the problem. And thirdly, if the band can come up, that'd be great. Remember this, that there's always a solution. I love this. Jesus says, where can we buy food for these people to eat? Philip goes straight to the money. We can't afford it. Can you imagine Andrew? He's looking around. And he sees a little boy's lunch. And I imagine him almost embarrassingly bringing it up. Saying, Jesus, um, <laughs> I know this is ridiculous. But there's a kid and he's got a lunch. Five loaves and two, two fish. Philip's probably looked at him like, you idiot. What a stupid idea is that? Andrew's probably almost lost absolute confidence by the time he's finished saying it because he realises as he hears his own voice saying it, it sounds stupid. But it's amazing what God can do with five loaves and two fish. And here's the thing that stands out to me about that is this, that solutions don't have to be big. They don't have to be fancy. And they don't have to be complete. I've hammered in many nails with a spanner because I didn't have a hammer. It's not pretty. But it was a solution. This church has been built on spanners. Well, we've had experts sitting back doing nothing. So what's stupid? Why are you doing that? Why are you using a spanner? Yeah, because no one's putting in enough money for us to buy a hammer. This will do for now. We can't wait and be dictated to until we can afford to do everything. Oh, it'd be much better to use a hammer. But if we ain't got one, we're going to use a spanner. If we ain't got a spanner, we'll use a shoe. If we ain't got a shoe, we'll use a thong. If I haven't got a thong, I'll use Baz's head. I'll do something. Some of us are intimidated in bringing a solution because it seems silly. It seems incomplete. What good is that? Solutions don't have to be big. They don't have to be clever. They don't have to be fancy. They don't have to be complete. Just go and be willing to give what you've got. I know this church is a mystery, not just to us, but many other churches. It's a mystery. I've had pastors tell me, your church is a mystery to us. The way you run and the way, it's a mystery to us. We had an influencers conference. And we opened up our church to another church free of charge. It's a mystery. Missed out an opportunity to make money. I don't know, it's, just, it's a mystery to me too. Why do we do this? <laughs> it's not how you, this is how you, I, I know, I, I know. It's a mystery. Your solutions don't have to be fancy. You ever been camping and the rain comes and the wind comes and the guy ropes come loose? I remember one trip that we were on, Kath and I, way back in the day, in Kayama, beautiful spot. We went right on this cliff. You could see the beach. It was beautiful. It was free. 
I, did, I only found out later why it was free, but so this is beautiful. Day one, beautiful. Day two, three, beautiful. The last day, things got a little bit sick. The wind and the rain came. The ground went so soft. Not only did the guy ropes go down, but, but the pegs that were holding the floor of the tent were coming up. And we were in, and I remember the mate, I was with him, going, Captain, she's going down, Captain, she's going down. <laughs> and I think, what do we do? We've got to try and get the, the blinds down. And I'm, I'm just getting eskies or anything heavy, eskies and rocks. We're putting it into the four corners of the tent, just trying to keep the tent down. Let alone keep it up, let's just keep it down. And then we got the windows open because when we went to bed, it was, it was nice and breezy. Then we had to, and this guy, oh, I can't undo it. Kath runs out there with a knife. He's like, ah, oh, she's going to kill me. <laughs> Kath just cuts these ropes so it gets down so it keeps inside dry. It wasn't pretty. But we survived. Got some big old rocks, tied the ropes. <laughs> weathered the storm. Got a great story. Next morning, my mate said, oh, that was awesome. I was like, awesome, you did nothing. <laughs> Me and my wife were running around solving all the problems. <laughs> you know, when we read the Bible, here's the problem. We pretty it up. We look at Jesus. We look at his garments. They were so white. He, 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 like, where does he get his washing powder from? He's just so white. He's got this halo around his head. And he hovers. He doesn't walk. He just hovers. We've got this image of Jesus. It's so pretty. So oh, I could never do that. Not even Jesus did what you think he did. We, we pretty up the stories. We say, wow, isn't it awesome? Jesus interrupts a funeral. And, 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 and that was pretty messy. Jesus has this, this conviction. There's a guy in that coffin who's dead right now, but I want to bring him alive. Here's the problem. The family, it's going to get real weird. Guys, bear with me. In the next 10 minutes, it's going to get real weird. It's going to get real ugly. But we don't read that into the stories. We, say, oh, we just put ourselves down because, you know, we could never do that. I imagine the disciples think, Gee, oh, can I? this is what I see. I see the disciples launching on Jesus. Don't do it, Jesus. No, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Don't do it. But then at the end, the provision, new life. Promise. Problem. How about you? Think about it. Someone you love, someone, some nutter comes running at the coffin. We know it's Jesus because this is 2,000 years later. They don't know it's Jesus. It wasn't pretty. It was messy. The early church was messy. The modern church with all its bells and whistles, there needs to be an element of messiness. Otherwise, we'll never solve problems. You know when, when you're not used to apologising and you go to someone that you love and, you, and, and you've been listening to the Word of God and you're now going to try and put the Word of God into practice, you say, oh, I could never do that because I'm not good at speaking. Just do it anyway. You might mess it up the first time. You might mess it up and say, just do it. Start doing it. So much of what I do that looks neat now didn't start neat. started very messy. I love it when I hear people saying, I'm not... 
I phoned my brother the other day and I, t- I tried to reconcile a, a situation that you know, has been ongoing for years and the trouble is I phoned him and then he said some things and then the grace that I had on the beginning of the phone call, I lost and then I lost it and then I started shouting at him. I'm like, oh, that sounds like the Bible to me. Putting the Word of God into practice might not have gone well, but you have another opportunity. How did you feel? Oh, I felt terrible. I just didn't go the way I wanted. Okay, do it again. Do it until you get better at it. Don't have to be fancy. We didn't record any of my preachers for the first two years, and there's a good reason for that. I didn't know what I was doing. Just, <laughs> I didn't want those messages to come back and haunt me. But I started. People say, yeah, you're a really good communicator. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. If I am, it didn't start that way. It was very messy. It wasn't fancy. But the solution to overcoming my problem when you're afraid to speak is this. Open your mouth. That's the sol- Yeah, but I want to get... You've got to start. If your marriage is so far gone in your thinking and, and a message like this is stirring you for reconciliation, it might be messy, it might be ugly, but we welcome that. Better have messy and trying than a nice clean divorce and give up. Oh, I tell you, we're facing some major issues in this nation. And the church is facing some major issues. There's some major problems ahead of us. What do we do with the gay and lesbian right movement on the What do we do with that? How do, we, how do we marry that up with Scripture, loving people, and yet God is very clear about certain things? I don't know that placards is the answer. I don't know about being a silent... Voice is the answer, but there is a solution. And it may be messy at times, it may not always come across the way we want it to at times, but we're going to be here in another 18 years' time. In another 18 years' time. I'm convinced there's so much movement either in the body of Christ or in marriages or in homes or just people because they face a problem. They hit a problem and they run. What I love about what Sally Graham has done in her life is when she's had a problem, she's walked through it and got the provision on the other side to face another problem to get the provision on the other side. When you ask someone to mentor you and to speak into their life, here's the problem. They will. And you've got to be ready for that. And you're going to hear some things you don't like. We've got to be ready for that. Philip and Andrew. Which one are you more like? Are you the Philip who says, how much is this going to cost? What's God saying? Who's going to go? Excuse after excuse. Well, can we be a little bit more like Andrew in 2012? And say, Tony, I don't have much. There's a little boy's lunch. 
And here's the biggest miracle. The fact that the little boy still had a lunch, that's miraculous. Every little boy I know is starving. They've all got worms. They just eat and eat and eat. They're just like, eat. The fact that this little boy had a lunch at all is miraculous. Will you please stand with me this morning? You want to be part of the problem or the solution? It's up to you. I trust you, along with me, would make a resolution to be a solution-minded people this year with God's grace. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.